Hello, my name is uh, Pastor Richard, and welcome to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. Good morning, uh, Harvest. Thank you, Tiffany, for uh, reading the Bible passages for today. And if you're catching us for the first time or just need a reminder, we are in the middle of our Jesus Saves Sermon Series, where we take a look in Jesus' uh, ministry on earth and see the different types of people that he saved or different events and we just make sense of it and try to relate it to our life today because even though he may have saved these people thousands of years ago jesus still saves today and before we begin um, let us pray dear heavenly father i just thank you that we have gathered here not as individuals stuck in our homes, scared and alone, but instead we have gathered here together as a church, Lord, dear Lord. Even though we may be separated in our own homes, dear Lord, miles apart, we are together and under your Holy Spirit, under your name, under the blood that your Son has shed for us, Lord. And I just pray that even in these moments in our homes that you will enter here, Lord. That your presence be known and your will be known to us. I thank you when we come with expectation with what you are about to do with us. I thank you and I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, the sermon title is Jesus Saves Peter. And he, Peter is a very interesting person in the Bible. He's definitely, definitely the boldest and the most outspoken disciple. Um, Jesus changed his name to Peter from as the rock, but because he will later on be the rock that the church is built on, and he is, and Jesus would give him the keys to the kingdom of God. And the church was not only opened up to the Jews, but later on to the world. And we see what the church has become today. Uh, Jesus, um, Peter was the first one to preach the, um, on the, um, after Pentecost. And 3,000 people were saved, where they repented, professed their faith, and they were baptized. And his, throughout his ministry, you see him facing persecution. He was imprisoned, and he was beat. Yet, he did not renounce his faith. Yet, he did not deny God. Yet, he saw this... Suffering, he rejoiced in the suffering because he knew that the disgrace that he faced on this earth would be all for the glory of God. That even at his death, he died for his Savior. He died for God. And when we think and look, examine the life of Peter, I feel like we imagine that the high, like the valedictorian kind of idea of like, oh, he is that highest peak of a Christian that should be this. This Peter is this Christian Christian. There is no way for me to be like him. But I feel like I know that a lot of us, we what we do is we set the bar lower for us, for ourselves. There's no way for me to live a life like Peter. Why don't I just settle the bar lower? But I feel a lot of us, what we end up doing is we end up living this safe, docile life, not truly experiencing what God has in store for us. And all we are kind of doing is just shop, eye shopping for what Christianity is. And when we see and hear the story of Peter, we're kind of overwhelmed thinking, there's no way for me to be like this. So let me just settle the bar so I feel more comfortable. I feel okay with that. I know I did that growing up, thinking that, oh, all my mom's friends 
kids are so much smarter than me. Let me just lower the bar so I don't even try to achieve it. If I don't go to jail in high school, then I did a pretty much good job. And I put myself in a place of not succeeding and just me mediocrity. And I feel like a lot of us are doing the same thing with our faith. The first thing that we need to realize about Peter is that he is not a perfect person. That he was a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. And in the Sea of Galilee, it was a very harsh and being a fisherman in that time and in that sea is very demanding and rough. That oftentimes fishermen would have their boats capsized, losing multiple time, losing their things multiple times. That Peter would be this first centuries, first first centuries man's man. And fishermen were known to be gruff, vulgar, and rash people. And you see that in Peter's personality, that he was this resistant, arrogant, rough person, that there's multiple times that he tried to tell Jesus what to do. And this is so funny, because Jesus was, um, Peter was one of the very few people that recognized who Jesus was, that he was the son of God. Yet still, Peter thought it would be best to tell Jesus, no, Jesus, you know what? I know better. There's no way for you should, there's no reason for you to be washing my feet. Jesus, no, you are not going to be arrested right now. I'm going to cut off this soldier's ear so I can save you. Peter's showing multiple times thinking that he knows better than, better than Jesus. And oftentimes Jesus rebuked Peter of his faith, once even calling him Satan, telling him to get behind him. And there are times when Peter would even deny Jesus. The, one of the most boldest, outspoken disciple denied his Savior when he was under trial. Even the night before, he said he would never do so. Denied him three times, leaving his faith and Jesus on that cross. Peter was not a perfect person. He showed fear, denial, and he was a coward. And multiple times, he was more afraid of man than he was of God. So what can we learn from the story of Peter? That boldness does not equal faith. That the being loud as boisterous is not the measure of the faith we have. It may sound like sustainable, but all we are doing is we're adding gasoline into a fire, and that gasoline will burn out eventually. At first, it may look like, look at this giant raging fire. Look at my faith, how big it is. But as soon as that, as soon as that gas burns out, as soon as the waste starts crashing against you, and as soon as reality hits and your faith is tested, you see what truly lasts. I would, um, when I first became a youth pastor I, at KCW, my heart, I feel I was at my boldest, most loudest. I felt like, you know what, God? I was boldly these insane prayers to God, saying, God, if you told me to go to this foreign country, if you told me to live in this third world country today, I will pack all my bags and leave tomorrow. That's the first thing I did. First thing I'll do for you, Lord. And the first year of being a youth pastor, it broke me. Not because of the youth group kids, not because of the setting, but because I realized how small my faith really was. Reading the story of Peter, I realized how much I could relate to him. If anyone has said any questions about Jesus, if anything, anytime I went to a youth group meeting, I would be the loudest, most boisterous person. And when my surrounding didn't reciprocate it, when the waves are crashing around me, I just lost it. And I just was burnt out from that. Being bold and loud does not me measure your faith. 
just because you put a Bible quote on your Instagram account, just because every once in a while you put a story about a Christian song you're hearing, you know, doing all these things does not measure your faith. It may be a factor of it, but if you think for me to show faith in God, I need to be louder and louder. When waves do crash on us, we really do see the measure of our faith. Seeing the story that um, Tiffany read for us, we know that Peter is not perfect. We see in the story how Jesus is walking on water, that Peter is, the, disciple, the disciples and the people in the boat are scared and, and awe of what Jesus is doing. But Peter shows this boldness saying, Jesus, if that is really you, let me walk with you. Jesus tells him to come. And the astonishing thing is that Peter is able to walk. And as Peter is walking in this water, he feels and sees the waves crashing. He's terrified, panics, and starts to sink. And Jesus saves him, brings him to the boat, and rebukes Peter of his faith. What happens here? It's the same thing that happens when we face struggle. The same thing happens when we take our eyes off of Jesus. We forget to focus on what's eternal and get distracted by what's worldly. What the same thing happens when we become cowards and abandon our faith and our principles when things become challenging. That this thing that we learn, the thing that we learn about Peter's life is that actually we are a lot like Peter. That we are oftentimes cowards, arrogant. Oftentimes, our life as Christians start out like Peter. That the story of Peter is not only about the weakness of his character, but it is the basic foundational, but it's a testimony of the basic foundational truth of what Christianity is. This profound teaching of death and resurrection. It's a story of trial and error. It's a story of a constant chance of leaving our old self and becoming a new creation. That Peter ended up becoming this person that his testimony and his story encourages millions and millions, even after his death. How did he become this? I believe that he learned how to die to himself. In that same way, how do we become this amazing person that we've known Peter to be? We need to learn how to die to ourselves. And oftentimes when we think of learning to die to ourselves, we see I think even for me, the hearing that we're dying to ourselves is kind of like, oh, that means my dreams, my identity, I, and I end up becoming this emotionless, cookie-cutter Christian that leads, us, that leads me only to do things that I don't want to do and leads me to a place of burnout, that we have this misconception of what dying to ourselves is. That when we hear the word dying to ourselves, we only hear the things that we are not allowed to do. But in reality, what we are doing Dying to ourselves meaning that we're being freed by Christ. That before Jesus, we are all slaves to our self-effort, self -effort, to our own salvation. That we have been doing everything that we can in our own powers to save ourselves. Whether it's just doing good deeds and doing good enough things that, we, that maybe that this will guarantee me eternal life. What we are doing is we're surrendering that Yoke of salvation unto Jesus, because He is the only one that can save us. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, it says, Whoever wishes to save his life must deny it, 
take up the cross and follow me. Jesus is saying this to the disciples, telling them that you must surrender the world's philosophy to live for yourself. Pick up the gospel's philosophy of dying to yourself. What we are doing is when we're dying to ourselves, we're discovering abundant life. John chapter 12 verse 24 says, Unless a grain of wheat falls on earth, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And I think that's the scariest thing. The idea of losing that one grain. Not showing, not knowing for sure what fruits will be there to bear later on. It is fighting that flesh. Realizing that I am no longer living for myself. That the in my as myself as an individual, I am no longer in charge of my will or my happiness. That dying to yourself is a continual is a continual chance and opportunity of a lifetime of agreement and opportunity of a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Denying to ourselves helps us become this new creation, this resurrection of ourself. Our old way dies and a new being can come to life. Then we know that we are created for a reason, a part of God's plan, that we are no longer part of this sub-obsession where we can become become part of something beautiful, experience the joy of Christ in becoming more accepting, generous, and able to love others unselfishly. That dying to ourself is I no longer want to hold these chains of the world, but I want to be free the way God has created me to be free. So how do we die to ourselves? I believe there's three ways. One, it is to sacrifice. Seeking God will be the reflection to the posture of my heart. Obeying God's will over my will. Where I am examining my life in the process of being righteous with Him. Second is what is our motivation of dying to ourselves. Oftentimes, we cannot obey out of fear. Because that will not have lasting effects. I think when we, our motivation out of, for dying to ourselves should be out of love. The same with our parents. I think the older we get, the more we realize that the way our parents do things is not the way we do it. Yet we should still obey. But a lot of us feel like we should obey because, because we want to be that good son. Because we still want to do these things because we know we are expected of our culture and environment. And I think I really learned this, that I should be obeying my mother, not out of duty or sense of responsibility, but out of love. I learned this a couple of years ago when my mom got hit by the, a van and she broke her ribs and the shoulder and she was in bed rest. And my mom has the personality, personality of a go-getter where she, even in bed, she cannot stay still, but things need, need to get done. The house needed to be clean, but there is no way that I'm going to let my mother clean the house. So whatever she asked me to do that I was willing to do, even if it's going to the attic multiple times to pick up or drop off multiple things, or even cleaning the trimming off the floorboards, just the most craziest things. And I just, I never understood why she wanted me to do this. But it clicked in my head, even though it may not be my will, even though I may not understand or want to do this, I am doing this because I love her. I am doing this because I know that doing these things that I don't want to do or maybe not be part of my flesh brings her peace. The same reason we die to ourselves and obey God's commanding, we, we realize 
we realize that we strive to obey God because we love him. We do not want to grieve him or cause him pain. Finally, the third way for us to die to ourselves, we need humility. Andrew Murray has his quote saying, death itself is not our work, but it is God's work. I think what we end up mis- having an issue with when we hear we're dying to ourselves, I am going to do everything possible, all these extracurricular activities, all these works, so I'm, I can die to myself. But we need the humility saying that God, it is up for you. It is not something that I can physically do. Surrendering, surrendering that control down up to God. Giving up that self and taking the place of perfect nothingness before God. Coming to God with complete surrendering. Surrendering that there is no way that I can earn my salvation. Let your will be done. That God is the only one that can make us grow. God is the only one that can shift us and change us. I know that right now in our homes today, it is. I feel like we're kind of in this trapped inside our own, trapped behind four walls right now questioning everything, wondering, hearing all these news, absorbing all these informations, just feel pent up, and we cannot wait any longer to leave our homes, leave this place of uncomfort, and going back to the way things were. But I believe there is a reason now, right now, that we can make the most out of this opportunity. That instead of feeling trapped inside, behind these four walls, I believe like caterpillars behind in a state of being in a cocoon, that this is a time for us to grow, to change it to no longer are we caterpillars, but we are now these butterflies in the kingdom of God. That once we leave these cocoons that we have surrounded ourselves in, that things will change. That we cannot miss this opportunity for us to be distracted by distractions of the world. But instead, I believe that this opportunity that we have now in our homes is the sweet chance to make gold. The sweet chance for us to be in that fire, to test our faith, surrender everything to God. Not only the way we live our lives, maybe even the way we lead our family, the way we lead our career, or even our personal relationships. Surrendering it all to God. And training ourselves and teaching ourselves to die to ourselves. Going back to the basics. Because I believe that this can be a golden opportunity for us to come out of our homes a whole new person. That this is a bookmark in, our, in church history where our members, the church members, were stuck at home, not waiting to leave to go back to the way things were, but not can't wait to leave to change the world as it is. This week, I want to challenge our members, even challenge those who are tuning in for the first time to change our perspective into God's perspective, to have eyes of faith. I, I read this in my devotion this week, and I was so encouraged by it, where it says, Jesus is not the answer when there is a storm, but he is the perfect security during the storm. We were never promised an easy journey, only a safe landing. I want us as a church and as 
God's people to attain this mentality. Thinking and not complaining every single step. God, I have struggled this way or something else, something bad has happened. But instead, see it the way Jesus has said. See it the way Jesus sees it and change it and able to attune ourselves to God's will, knowing that, you know what, even though this unfortunate circumstance may be happening, I know God is doing something wonderful in that and seeking solution to it. The second thing that I want us to do as a church is I want us to pray a consistent, constant prayer life. That a prayer should not be only made before a meal or before we go to bed. But I believe prayer is this intimate conversation that we have with God. A prayer life involving prayer, fasting, and a life full of His Word. But if that is too difficult, even just praying to God constantly throughout our day, constantly throughout this week saying, Let your will be done, not my, my will. Not my will, but your will be done. Just constantly saying that. And I really believe that our week will look so much more different. I believe that our life throughout this week, the way we process information, the way we speak, will be so different if we are constantly praying to the Lord, praying to the Holy Spirit, let not my will be done but yours. Challenge ourselves. Challenge yourselves. Because I know I will. That this time that I have at home is not a waste of time where I am becoming antsy, but a time where a new creation is going to be created. That when I am able to leave this home, I am no, no longer that same Pastor Richard that I was before leaving. But instead, I am going to be a whole new being, able to lead harvest into this revival, into our community, into our friends and family. I hope that you will all be able to join me. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you broken, scared, ashamed, cowards like Peter, Lord. And the amazing thing is, is that you don't abandon us in the water to drown. You don't let us sink down to the bottom of the ocean saying good relief, I never wanted you to begin with, but instead you take us out from us drowning, bring us to dry land, and you, it may be a time of rebuke, but you, it's not a time of giving up, that you never to give up on us. That even though your cup was overflowing, even though it may you were struggling, you showed humility to your Father. Let us show the same humility, knowing that this world is too much for us. The things that we're dealing with is too much. And we surrender it all to you. Because in the end, I am not in charge of my own salvation. In the end, I am not in charge of my own safety. We surrender it all to you and die to ourselves. Dying to ourselves to a God that cares and loves for us so intimately. I thank you, Lord, and I just pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.